out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week is going to be the turn of the musician and singer-songwriter. It is Daniel Darrow, who just brought a new album out. His band is called The Pool of Autumn. The album is Beautiful Broken World. And he's been working with lots of interesting and uh, creative people on this project, including Adrian Sherwood and also Mark Stewart and um, the likes of Philip Harfit, who was in The Perfect Disaster, and many more. But anyway, this is going to be the interview. Uh, This is um, after several minutes of casual chat. We got down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. Daniel, it's over to you. Uh, Yeah, well, early on, Scott Walker was a huge i loved his early 60s music and uh just the orchestral arrangements you know that he he kind of combined beauty and there was a a darkness in a lot of of his songs um and he was one of my earliest influences i just came to love him so much yes and uh, and, and in his later work even i i hear Leggetti and his like tilt and those albums a lot of people didn't really uh like the transaction, you know, or the, you know, the, the change over to the uh, more experimental music. But I found a, a lot of elements of uh, classical composition uh, in his later works. And he was definitely a, a huge influence on me early yes. on. Sure. Yeah. Amazing. I, you know, listen to Van de Graaff Generator, bands like Peter Hamill, you know, the early uh, Nader's uh, Big Chance, Last Chance by Peter Hamill. Stuff like that was very influential for me early on. Mm. And David Bowie and stuff like that. Yes, absolutely. Did you have you were your parents at all musical or all sort of? Uh, uh, no, my father played harmonica, and that was it. But uh, they, my, I had a cousin who lived in Canada, and I was young. And uh, his band, they were like a surf band. They were called the Ferraris of Canada. And they had a couple singles out, and uh, my parents got me into a club to see him perform in his band, the Ferraris of Canada, and they were playing surf music and stuff like that. And that just blew me away. That was it for me. That's all. From that point on, that's all I thought of. I mean, when I was in fifth grade, I had a band we played in front of the school in fifth grade. We uh, played surf covers, you know. I. You know, so I started doing this when I was very young. I was obsessed with this from a very early age. Yes. You know, I I went through all the psychedelic era with bands like, you know, the Blues Magoos and uh, all the uh, early psychedelic bands from garage psychedelic bands. So I was influenced from all of that. And um, then, you know, I just, you know, I say from any era from the 60s on, I, I found something to love. <laughs> yes. you know, and uh, in the 90s, I uh, formed a band in Newport, Rhode Island called uh, Joanna's House of Glamour. And we were uh, signed to uh, an American, a, a small label out of Louisiana called Salem Mort Records. And it was kind of like the, uh, you know, it was kind of uh, the American... 4AD in a smaller sense, obviously, but uh, it was like a, a, a bunch of like minded bands, and it was basically like America's first take on what they called dream pop. 
Right. Uh, yeah, bands like A.R. Kane and stuff like that. We're and and then this Mortal Coil came along and they had a huge impact on me. Uh, the first album was picked up uh, through Rough Trade, which was re- really helped us. It, unfortunately, in America, I, it was like ninety ninety one, and then the grunge thing was starting, and uh, our album had a lot of acoustic guitars and lush uh, arrangements. So at the time, I we we were fortunate enough to go over to uh, England do some shows, and the reception there and the reviews there. Uh, were much <laughs> better. We, uh, I think, we found uh, many more people who liked us overseas. Yeah, yeah, and we were kind of considered a dream pop band. But around that period, after England it, and during the time of England, like kind of hooked on to what they were calling uh, it was like a British post rock movement from in the ninety one ninety three ish area, and there was bands like Seafield. Uh, Disco Inferno, who were just a vastly underrated band. Uh, the Insides, who were 4AD, we, be, you know, we became friends with them. In fact, they actually, uh, we were in one of their shows, and uh, we had covered Robert Wyatt's uh, Sea Song, and they were doing a gig the following evening with Ultra, Ultra Marine. Right. And Robert Wyatt, Robert Wyatt was sitting in with them, and uh, so I asked them if they could hand off a CD to Robert Wyatt, a recover of Sea Song. And it turned out he, he really enjoyed it. He actually added us on his French website and stuff. So it was quite an honor, and it was really exciting. But that that was a great time. I mean, there were so many bands, uh, like Hood, uh, you know, just Hood, Boy Racer. Yes. Some of the bands I enjoyed as well. It's funny because um, Boy Racer have just got their... Um... One of their John Peel sessions has just been reissued literally yeah. this month. So uh, that's on the Precious Recordings of London. So I think that's yeah. Stuart somebody. I can't remember his surname. Stuart but... Yeah, Stuart Anderson. Yeah. Mm, yes. The, the buddy. Um, yeah, they, uh, they, the Boy Racer appeared on, I think, two two or three of the Pull of Autumn albums with tracks, which shows you, that, which kind of speaks to the, the varied sound of the, the Pull of Autumn music. Yes, absolutely. Because 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 with your you know like most bands they have a very prolific period, don't they? And I mean with the yeah. Joanna's House of Glamour, you had sort of a very intense period during that decade, you know, that early part of the decade, probably the end of the 80s. I mean, did, were you yeah. particularly interested or fond of this sort of the 80s indie sound because we had the sort of punk then post-punk there was a bit of that new romantic and electronic music and goth and 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 then there was the sort of the the indie pop sound with like bands like the smiths and the go-betweens and um the triffids and people like that did that sort of come into your radar uh well absolutely the triffids were just fantastic uh and uh you know i loved uh i don't know if you i'm sure you've heard this album by vic goddard uh the end of the Surrey people. Um, that's uh, Vic Goddard. I, I love that album, and he has and felt uh, Lawrence. Uh, just I I have every uh, felt album that has ever been released, and I, I, I they're so good. And I even think some of the post Maurice D Bank. You know, he was the prolific guitar player in that band, and when he left, I you know I was wondering what they could do without him. But I guess Martin Duffy he kind of took over on the keyboards. And some of those albums are just uh, just beautiful. So Lawrence was a big influence on us. Uh, 
for a while anyways in the music there's so many people like i absorb like a sponge all the music i listen to and yes. if it really if it, if it really affects me i take it with me and it stays with me for forever and then the influences will show up in my music you, you know yeah absolutely yeah. actually with with lawrence it was quite interesting because he did felt during the 80s and then he became part of a well he started denim and there is a song that he wrote called the osmonds which is quite long. It's about six minutes. And I think he really captures his childhood in that song so amazingly. I think it's one of the greatest songs of the last 50 years because he talks about all these kind of people that he grew up listening to, like the Osmonds and David Cassidy and various other people. But he he kind of um, he acknowledges there was more to it than just bubblegum. And and it's if you listen oh. to the lyrics, it's absolutely he really pays a lot of attention to it. I think that the, the Osmonds by Denim is is just genius actually so yeah and now he's got his the uh, go-kart mozart <laughs> and i have several, i have several of those they they i, I don't feel those the way i feel the, the felt music is obviously two different things yeah but i'm i'm happy he's still around doing music i mean because i i really i really like lawrence he's great he's uh he we just didn't you know the smiths were so huge and it was just the you know, the felt never got the the break that I think they deserved. I really thought they were an exceptionally uh, talented band. There were so many the close lobsters from that you know bands from yes. that era, Asman Minks. All those bands were just so good. Uh, uh, Jazz Butcher, unfortunately, uh, Pat, you know, yes. lost Pat in it. All those bands uh, touched me in, in many ways. Yeah, but what I found, and I don't know if you experienced this as an artist, but um, every five years there seems to be a bit of a chapter closing and another one starting. And I think, you know, I mean, this is kind of simplistic, but between 83 to 87, there was a real sort of indie pop movement. And then there was sort of, I suppose, the you know, the Smiths broke up, but then there was a new drug, you know, ecstasy came along and there was a new wave of 18-year-olds and there was that dance movement movement that started in in our country anyway and and for a while everyone wanted that kind of Manchester sound which was yeah. okay but that new generation who had who hadn't been around since 82 83 you know they were just those young kids who wanted to discover that new band and I I kind of realized as an artist that's quite tricky because suddenly you're thinking oh does no one want my third album it's like well kind of you know yeah and I'm, I'm sure that's a challenge for so many artists uh, it's like uh, Joanna's House of Glamour. In that band, I was virtually a guitar player. That's all I did. I had nothing to do with the production of the music. Uh, you know, I wrote some of the music, but I was virtually a guitar player. And you know, in the studio, I did. I had no. You know, I didn't even participate in the studio work at all. And uh, my wife got ill, and she was the vocalist and you know my musical partner for years. She passed in 2015. So I had to really uh, reevaluate my step forward in, in music as a guitarist. I don't know I, what I could have done. Uh, so what I, I virtually did is I ended up selling all I had, a very big uh, collection of custom shop uh, vendors and stuff. I sold them all and I built a home recording studio. And I started purchasing synthesizers and uh, started learning how to work you know, in the studio and I got a 32 track board and that that's basically how a, a pull of autumn was born. I, I had to find something new to, you know, for one to get through the grief and, and two, my love for music, I just had to be able to somehow 
carry on, but do it, you know, on my own. Yeah. So I, I, and that's how the pull of autumn came to be. And uh, the first album was 2018. It was just a few friends. It was uh, Fred Bong was on uh, Fred Bong from uh, he was in Throwing Muses. We both came up from Newport, Rhode Island. Yes, of course, Fred. Yeah, and he played on some Joanna's House of Glamour songs too. He played bass. And um, this this fella from uh, England, Luke Skyscraper James, was in a 80s band called Fashion. And they had an album called Product Perfect. And uh, I was a big fan. I saw them in Boston at a club. I guess they toured with the police early on in U2. And their story was kind of sad. They were really on their way up, but it just never happened for mm. them. So he's 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 on the first album, and he uh, he's worked on every album with me since. And also, I have a, the guy from Joanna's House of Glamour, Bruce McLeod. He's on all the albums as well. Uh, but the first album had like maybe six to seven people. My son Matthew, who's twenty-seven, he plays drums and synth on the album. But then the second one got much bigger. I had, you know, more artists reaching out to me. It was kind of funny. The first one reviewed well, which I was shocked. You know, I, I had no expectations, but the reviews were pretty, pretty good. So we, we said, let's try a second one. And uh, we ended up adding a, a, a lot more artists. A lot of people reached out to me. And uh, then by the time of third, it was even more. And then with this new album, we've got, you know, Stuart Moxham from Young Marvel Giants did a track uh adrian sherwood and uh mark stewart you know reached out and uh through uh, that that came to be by uh, a label called emergency hearts the they just uh, re-released the joanna's house of glamour album but they also do digital uh releases of uh all mark stewart's and adrian sherwood's uh tracks so uh i had heard one basic track that they had like the demo track and uh I talked to the guy from Emergency Hearts and I said, wow, I wonder if, uh, boy, I'd sure like to be able to work on that track and, you know, do a different version of it. And I just kind of said it off the cuff and uh, lo and behold, an hour later, he's all, I just talked to Mark Stewart. He's contacted Adrian Sherwood and they want you to, to work on that track. So that was just a great gift and to have that. And I find people are so generous as far as just reaching out. And uh, On the third album, I don't know. If, do you remember the band Butterfly Child with Joe Cassidy? He just passed away last year. That's yeah, he was on Rough Trade. And uh, he appeared on the last album. He was just a wonderful person, but he died last year, sadly. He was definitely, he was uh, influenced by that big Phil Spector sound. You know, he really was great with orchestrations and, and things like that. Uh, now, for the fourth album, uh, we started working on that when the third one came out. We were well into the fourth one when the third one had just been released. Mm -hmm. So I had a little more time to just really, you know, I spent a long time just getting order of the songs and, and you know, choosing the, the running time and stuff like that. And also there's a track on there, which is the first one. It's the, the title theme track, Beautiful Broken World, where I kind of reach into my uh, classical influence. And it's kind of like a dramatic uh, with timpani and, you know, very classically oriented sound. And it's kind of like the I set the high bar with that song uh, for the rest of the album. So on this one, I think I really uh, found the production 
quality. I, I, you know, I'm quickly going from musician more into the producer. To me, they're like equal. Uh, they're like equal jobs for me. Yes. But as I received so many stems, and they're all recorded on quite different levels. Some of them are done in really great studios. Some are done on iPhones. You know what I mean? <laughs> Through apps and stuff. And yes. it's my uh, it's my job to take those files, you know, transfer them over to my system, and try to make them sound cohesive in a whole of like sixteen tracks, which uh, was quite a challenge. But uh, in the end, I'm very excited with the way this album has come out. It's yeah, very no, it, it's an it's a beautiful album. It's absolutely gorgeous, and you know, it's been kind of riveting to listen to it. I mean, one of the the standout songs is the the single "Live Today," which is a it's a collaboration with the Tokyo dream gaze band isn't it once once grace forever which is yeah quite well, stunning. yeah you know i fell across them just uh by accident i listened to a lot of japanese uh artists in, in that dream pop world and shoegaze they have some incredible bands and uh i found that on, on a radio show and so i contacted the the female leader she calls herself lynn wolinski her real name is Lynn Takahashi, but she goes by the name Lynn Walensky. And uh, we started talking about that. And uh, she was game for me to what I wanted to do was basically just give the song a new feel. Uh, the original track was kind of a shoegazy sort of thing. And uh, I just wanted to kind of remove the original drum track and put more of a, a softer touch to the song. And I added trails, uh, synthesizer trails throughout the song. And it came out sounding really good. I'm happy with the results on that one. It's yes. almost kind of, it kind of reminds me of the Cogteau Twins, maybe, a bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's beautiful. And I do love that photograph. You Is it her with the cat, by the way, the picture? Yeah. Yes, that's her, yeah. It's a beautiful yeah. picture, actually. But yeah, I was really amazed with the, with the people that you've kind of collaborated or worked with on the album because obviously, you know, growing up in the eighties, the on you sound system with Adrian Sherwood and people like Mark Stewart, and then there was Gary Clell and yeah. Dean Sherman, all those you know, Tackhead and Tackhead, you know, sound system and all that were quite fierce and ferocious, and they've been sort of appearing a little bit more recently, and. Um, I was, yeah. my, my ears pricked up. So, yes, you explained how, how that sort of came about. And I've done, you know, Mark is yeah. one of those great characters, isn't he? Completely. Oh, incredible. He, he really is. And I've always, I was a huge fan of the, the Mafia, the pop group, all yes. his work. And Adrian Sherwood, just, a, you know, African head charge, uh, tack head, all that stuff. And, and in a lot of ways, I think uh, we're just like-minded people. They're, you know... We we kind of have the same thing where we like to reinvent sound. We like to take challenging genres of music and try to bend them and make them. You know, we just try to to reinvent sound. And you know, I mean, of course, those guys are way more experienced than I am. But I was honored that they were even willing to to do this with me. It was just a really a great a great fun surprise that you know i'll keep it with me forever it was just incredible i would imagine and i know you mentioned um stuart moxham of uh, the young marble giants but you also worked with philip parfit who was with the um the perfect disaster as well so how did that sort of link or connection happen well, well philip was uh on the third album as well i i reached out to philip because i love his music and uh his uh, new album on ment uh, mental home recordings, the last one he did, 
it was just beautiful. I mean, and I, we've, we've kind of developed a friendship and he's just so giving, like, I'll say, could I work with this track? And he's just like, wow, that sounds incredible. Go for it. And when I finished the track for the newest album, he, he just wrote me and he says, that oh, sounds beautiful. I mean, I, I, I feel he is really uh, underrated. It's kind of yes. like the apartment. That's another band, Peter Milton Watts, Welsh of the apartments. I feel he's, uh, uh, you know, the apartments are such a beautiful band. And uh, I feel the same way about Philip. He, uh, his music is, it just takes you down a, a dark path. It kind of reminds me of, of what the Velvet Underground would have turned into all these years later. Like he just, he writes compositionally so deep, but then there's just so much feeling and nuance in his, his, his voice and stuff like that. But I was really honored uh, once again to have Philip aboard for this one. Really, yes, absolutely. And then another standout track on the album is the "Come Winter." How did this one sort of appear or get developed? Well, Stuart Mox and I, re I reached out to him and we talked for a bit, and he was, you know, all for it. I guess he did some research on the Pool of Honor, and then he wrote me back and he said, "Do you have anything in mind?" And he sent me a few songs that were just demos. And he said, you could choose from these. And I just thought Come Winter was a, a lovely song. And I kind of think it spoke to the, the young Marvel Giants music as well. Yes. Um, you know, their album was just so incredible. Because in that noisy punk time, the Colossal, the Colossal Youth was such a uh, free, it was such a different take on on, mod, on the music of the time. And to me, that album still holds up as being a classic album. It's and of course, he, he's a great guy. Stuart Moxham, it's funny. It's all these guys, you know, they're just so humble. And, they, you know, just to them, it's to, they're like me. It's just the, the ability to share music amongst friends. You know, it's a very like-minded community. Uh, you know, yes. we, you know and, and, and I realize, like, not a lot of people will love the pull of autumn. But I think there is a group of people, hopefully, or a small group of people that might appreciate the music. You, you know, it's uh, I have no really high expectations beyond people maybe saying, you know, having one song that made them feel something. You know, uh, with this pandemic and everything we've been through, that's kind of where how I got that title, Beautiful Broken World. Right. Because, you know, politically, politically in America, as you know, in the war in Ukraine and COVID, and so many people, you know, it affected everybody. You know, my, you know, I uh, got to see visit with my grandchildren over Thanksgiving. You know, and they had they were homeschooled for you know two years, and you know, it's just uh, had a huge effect on any everybody. So I think the album was. There's no question it was affected by that. I, I'm hoping it's not a, a bummer of an album, and I I, I don't think it is. But I, no, I, I mean, I, to, to be honest, it's been just amazing to listen to it for the last week and just kind of absorb it. And it has got a, a really beautiful sort of sonic sonic vibe to it. But lyrically, it's it's stunning as well. And I, it's nice that you mentioned about your first opening track because it is quite a, a kind of complex kind of, um, yeah, quite an orchestral kind of um, instrumental, really, to kick it off. But lyrically and, and sort of vocally, I think the, the, the album bring, comes together so beautifully. So, um, yeah, I think I think you'll be, yes, I think it will go down. I think it will be, a, as they say, a slow burner. But it's interesting what you mentioned about working with all these different people because an awful lot of them I've um, interviewed over the last five years. So they was like, yes. And yeah. um, I think that, that a lot of people's story, you know, you when you're young, you get the band, you do the album, you do that little 
five years of working really hard and then it kind of it hasn't kind of paid it hasn't paid your mortgage and and it's like it's been great but you know you need to get on and do other things and then you hustle around and then you sometimes you know come back and and sort of become quite humble and just kind of grateful for being able to still do what you do and and I think a lot of those artists on on this album from speaking to them are just thinking god you know someone wants me to put out a new album I think there's tiny global tiny global productions which is a small label seems to be putting out a lot of these records by Stuart and Moxham and various other you know sort of people from the 80s especially who are making new records and I think people are just really enjoying it again and thinking actually yeah I'm really into this again actually and I've I can add quite a lot. So I think, um, yeah, it's a goal. It's almost a golden time, though. When you're in a moment, it's very hard to realise it might be a golden time. It's only when you look back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, to be honest, like uh, like when Joanna's House of Glamour, when we first did the deal with Rough Trade, I think it was 1990, and uh, we got did a tour, we did the UK and stuff. And I was feeling, wow, this is it. You know, I was, I had an expectation at that time. It's like, wow, this is it. I'm going to quit my day job and stuff like that. And then we came back to America and, and, you know, six months later, where am I still at my day job? So, you know, I quickly realized that, you know, my whole opinion, opinion of making music and like what, what you just mentioned, just the, just cherishing, you know, the, the, uh, the, the moment. And with this new band, it's just the only expectation was is that hopefully maybe one or two people will hear it and love it. But all the people were so uh, friendly. And it's a great way, just a community of artists to become friends, too, you know. Yes. Well, actually, I think I think um, that's the other thing that people have. They're looking back at their archives and they're also thinking while we get into the archives, actually, should we record some new material? And even though they might have been an indie band from the UK, they now live all over the place and they're thinking actually one of the members is quite good at production and if we can give them the tracks they can do something and we can put a new record out and even if it's going to be on Bandcamp, they're kind of enjoying it they're suddenly going i've got that spark again my life is good and i think that creativity is is what makes people suddenly tick up tick and feel really positive about the light about the, the moment and also the future yeah, well, it's it's. I have to say, it really has this. The pull of autumn really vir- virtually saved my life. You know, you're losing a spouse that you're with for forty five years, and then you got to and the music together beyond your children. Music was a something you shared forever. It was very tough for me. I said, "What can I do? I I've got to find a, a space uh, for creativity." And the pull of autumn ultimately has really saved my life and i've made a million new friends and i've virtually kind of come out of the grieving period uh better for it uh and you, other- with, with, with that kind of process do you feel that when you're there writing recording and collaborating with different people do you sometimes you know i know it might sound a bit strange but do you sometimes sort of talk to your your pre you know partner and just and feel that you would be proud of what you're doing now yes absolutely um, we did a song on the first album called Laura's Song. My friend Bruce McLeod, he wrote that song, and it was about our relationship in the studio as artists and him just watching. Uh, her name was Laura. Laura and I, our yeah. creative process. And when I first heard 
heard the song, I, it just really, I couldn't believe it. And then uh, another band uh, from Germany called Sea Surfer. They're a shoegaze band. And this was a really unusual story. Um, she had heard or read some of the stuff about my wife passing, and, and, and she heard the song, Laura's song. So she, she contacted me, and she said, I wrote a song for you. And I says, oh, you know, I didn't even know who she was. Uh, and she, her name's Apollonia. She, you know, in the band Sea Surfer. So I listened to it. It was this gorgeous, gorgeous ambient track about death, like me facing death and her waiting at the other end for me. And the, the lyric, it was just a beautiful, when I first heard her, I was like, oh my God, it just, I really was moved by that track. Mm. Kind of like uh, stuff that happens with the pull of autumn. I mean, a lot of it has been stuff like that. Just people saying, hey, here's something, you know, they're giving me something. And it's like so moving and beautiful. How yes. could I not, you know, want to have it in my music? And uh, that's what made, that's what makes the, this, the whole thing a really fun and a great experience for me. Because you did four albums with Joanna's House of Glamour, and then, there, you know, you did two, and then there was quite a gap, and then it was The Dark Flower, and as as far as forever. Was, yeah. that, was that just a period that you just had to get on with the rest of your life and have a, a sort of a, well, of a, a break? Well, well, the first two, the first album was uh, Rough Trade. The second was Cargo. And... Um, after that, uh, there's this label out of New York City called Instinct Records, uh, and they were, you know, they were a pretty big label. And they, a guy from Rough Trade, Gerald Helm, he had left Rough Trade and he had moved on to this label of New uh, in New York City called Instinct Records. And uh, he contacted us and he says, "You send us some demos, and because Instinct Records may be interested in releasing your music. That, this is for the Dark Flower. Yeah. And so we sent them uh, like eight to ten songs, and uh, they said, do you mind if we do some remixing on them? You know, they said, you know, because I guess it was, uh, Instinct was more one of those trip-hop type labels. They were like uh, instrumental trip-hop. Yeah. And we said, Sure. So they, you know, they sent some mixes over to Germany and uh, a couple of France, like these producers, and uh, they they released one track uh, on a compilation. We didn't even hear it before they released it, but uh, the vocals were removed. The original drum, it wasn't even the same song. And my worry with that label is they were just one sound, and I, I virtually, I know this sounds strange, but I didn't want to get locked into something that has a time stamp on it to me that that music that trip hop especially the instrumental trip hop just yeah. had a, a time stamp that would become quickly dated so um ultimately our deal with them fell through uh that we signed a preliminary contract with them they sent us all a grand and they said see you later so uh uh, Dark Flower ended up being a self-release. That's where Bruce started RBM Records. And the right. third album, and that was just basically something he did so we could freely, you know, release our music. Uh, because like a lot of times, like even with uh, Rough Trade, you know, you have a vision for your music. And if it takes three years for that, the tracks you submit to come out, obviously you're an artist and you kind of move on 
from what those tracks were. You know, your 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 music changes, your influences change. You know, you're on to the next page musically, and uh, the, the label can't keep up with the changes. And something is comes out that it truly doesn't represent what you want to be anymore. So that's kind of like the Dark Flower was Bruce's uh, first attempt at a self. You know, he started his own little label, RBM. And it's kind of like a homegrown thing, but we've been releasing music on that label. You know, the all the Pull of Autumn albums have been released on his label since then, and there's a real sense of freedom there because you have complete control. Yes, and you know, and, and, you know, today everything has changed. Like I remember in the '90s, Joanna's House of Glamour. Even for me personally, my source for information, I used to drink in the enemy, the melody maker sounds. I just I would get those weekly. I'd go to the local newspaper and I would just comb over the bands in there. And that's how I discovered. I remember Kitchens of Distinction, just finding, you know, new bands and stuff. And it was uh, so great. It was so different, though. I mean, now with the digital stuff, music uh, moves very quickly. Yes. And, yeah, you know what I'm saying. In the old days, you had to earn it, kind of. You know, you had to seek out these records. It was a really a special thing. You're holding the vinyl in your hand and the liner notes and the beautiful color covers and stuff. You come to miss all that stuff. You know, I, I that was, a, a for, in some ways, a golden time for me. And I remember when we were in Melody Maker and Sounds, we got a couple of reviews in there. Like, that was a life dream for me. I know that sounds silly, but I always wanted to be in, in the Melody Maker. You know what yes. I mean? And, that was real special for me. Well, I think but, a lot of people in that 80s also, you know, who didn't really think beyond, we'll just get a band together, we'll get a single, and if John Peel plays it, great. If we get a John Peel session, fantastic, and that's it. And then and it's like, oh, we'll do an album, perhaps we'll do two. But then it's like, yeah, we this definitely was only a five-year project. So, yes, we, yeah. we, we had quite a different attitude, unless you're, you know, there's a couple of artists who had a different attitude, but we can't all be yeah. you two and Simple Minds. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. It's like my friend Luke and his band Fashion. You know, they, you two at one point was warming up for them. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's just so funny how things work out in the end. <laughs> yeah. I guess uh, Miles Copeland is the one who discovered his fashion and uh, he signed them to IRS Records. You know, they had the Cramps and other bands. And initially, you know, they put them on tour with the police in stadiums, warming up the police. And, you know, like Luke was, you know, uh, they were heading to, they thought they were going to cross over. But in the end, they, you know, ended up playing small clubs and ultimately disbanding, you, you know. And, and like, okay. it's, and you never know what to expect uh, in the industry. The music industry is so fickle. And, and this is so you true. Know, yes, this is very it, true. It's, it's so true. I think but, with most people, they do say, you know, however much talent you have and however good you are. I mean, there's the exceptions, but generally there's an awful lot of luck. You know, it's like just that thing that just everything lined up just right. I mean, if you were probably Jimi Hendrix, that was going to be OK. But if you were just any other band, you were almost going to just go, well, that, you know, the person at that record label, that person who played it, that person who did that, you know, it's like it all just went, oh, God, we've got it. You know, we've got, you know, like David Bowie, I think his first appearance on Top of the Pops, you know, someone had pulled out and they said, look, can you get to the studio in a couple of hours? And, 
he might have made it, but it was a big moment. It was like, David, you can go to top, top of the pops. You know, this is going to be a moment, you know. And uh, but he obviously took it, but it was it was a some someone pulling out and someone being there. So um it makes a yeah. lot of difference, doesn't it? So um yeah. it, and you know what? It, this kind of stuff crosses my mind. What if the Beatles came out today? I mean, in this digital market that's so disposable and music moves so quickly, what would would a band be like like the that be today? I think the the days of like the legendary rock star kind of have passed in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? It's just a quick cycle and then it goes on to the next thing. And uh I don't yeah, know. You, I may- you, you, you couldn't really imagine John Lennon having to sort of get onto TikTok or or Twitter, could you really? He would blow it. He uh, wouldn't he wouldn't be good on TikTok, would he, John? No, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> I try to TikTok. I'll do I do uh Facebook and <laughs> some of the TikToks those tiktok things are just i don't and i look at some of them they've got eighty thousand views and i look at the content and it's like wow i can i'm lucky to get a thousand views on my music and this guy's got ninety thousand, and he's doing something completely foolish you, you, you know what i'm saying yes absolutely so. absolutely look with with the album that that is coming out or just about out which is gorgeous i mean obviously this is still you know what being worked and everything but do you have kind of plans and and sort of material for the next for the next year and the next album yeah well actually i've i've got a bunch of songs already completed for the next album uh i got some tracks with uh gary bromley he was in this 4ed band called diff jazz i have some uh instrumental tracks with him and then i'm working on a lot of classical music as well i'm trying to you know i'd really like the the idea of incorporating classical music with digital breakup i know that sounds kind of strange but it's a kind of like a new sound where you mix in digital uh or glitch sequencing with you know original uh, classical compositions so it's kind of like the the fine line where noise meets beauty you know it's just kind of like what really kind of like what my bloody valentine were doing with guitars but it's just classical music but I have a real interest in, in pursuing that more, the sonic capabilities of that. And I'd like to add more elements of classical uh, music and jazz to this, the future recordings. But there's definitely, we're, we're planning a fifth album, uh, hopefully within a year or two. You know, I just keep going. Yeah, I absolutely. Yeah. And, if you, and if you could have told yourself or whispered to yourself, your 16, 16 year old self, some little bit of wisdom or advice say wisdom i mean is there anything that you would have gone yes i would have just definitely told them that or just tried to sort of in, you know encourage them or or just something that you would have thought that 16 year old might ignore you but i just wondered if it was anything in particular that you would have thought yeah that would have been handy i would have said if you enjoy something do it uh because you you enjoy it even if you don't think you're very good at it just do it um, because you know, so many regrets can come from being afraid to try n- new things and uh, having expectations. I think you can l- let a lot of the golden moments of your life like slip through your fingers if you just have too many expectations. I think it's good to let go of expectations and just enjoy the ride. I mean, mm. be creative. If you want to be creative, if it's art, whatever, sports, whatever it is you enjoy, you know, never feel uh, marginalized like you're not good enough to pursue that. 
You know, I think it's important for a person to have the freedom to, to feel like, hey, I may have something to say. And even if I don't, I should feel free to try to do it, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. That's 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 fantastic, actually. That is good. But then, yeah, well, look, thank you ever so much, Daniel, for giving me the time for this. This has been really appreciate, uh, appreciated. And it's been really lovely to have a, have this and um, to hear your music because it's, it's been fantastic. So, um, yeah, all the best. And I hope it goes really well. And I'm, I'm pleased you're working with so many amazing people. Yeah, thanks so much. I really enjoyed this. Yes, have look. Have a wonderful day. You too. Have a lovely day too. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. And that was me in conversation with Daniel Darrow, who's got a new album out, as I uh, mentioned. that was, uh, The album is titled Beautiful Broken World, and the band is The Pool of Autumn. So do check that out. It's available from all good record shops online and also, I do believe, Spotify if you want to have a quick listen um, and probably other streaming services. So this is uh, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. These have all been archived on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. It's true. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.